Spooky, beautiful and yet funny. In Greta Anderson's photography, day can become night, and invasive flora and domestic objects can seem charged up in a light by a kind of spiritual electricity. The Tamaki Makoto Auckland Artists Project, There Is Nowhere To Go, There Is Nothing To Do, great title, is an exhibition and a book covering her work between 1997 and 2022. And There Is Nowhere To Go and There Is Nothing To Do is also the name of a song that in a moment gets its premiere here on Culture 101. Because you see, Greta Anderson's also well known as a musician. Her previous bands include Superette, Ben and Greta, and the Blue Marbles. And the song we're going to play has been created uh, with her friend Hermione Johnson. Together they're performing at Greta Anderson's book launch at Tatuhi Gallery in Titarangi on Saturday the 18th of November. And the song, like some of Greta's photography, recalls Greta's 70s childhood in a West Auckland commune. More on that after this tune. In the 70s 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 
Photographic artist and musician Greta Anderson with Hermione Johnson there. And that's by way of introducing Greta's new photography book and exhibition of that very same name. And I asked her about her work with uh, Hermione. Is this the beginning of a new band? No, I'm not going to call it a band, but we are (laughs) in a band together with Gary Sullivan. And we're calling that Half Sister. Well, they... They picked up on a lyric of mine, Hermione and Gary did, and said, that'd be a good name. So I actually said, okay, you, yep, that's fine. I've actually a bit of a, a, a name, a naming queen. But uh-huh. um, I put it up on Bandcamp, and I think there's like about a million bands called Half Sister. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, you know, it must be a good name. But I know that like when we had made up Superette, made up that name, there was actually, and we didn't know it at the time, another superette that um, Jed Towns, Jed Town was in. Oh, from time. Fetus Productions yeah. originally, right? And that, so every time I sort of, if I ever go to um, Spotify and try and put on superette, I'll get this punk music and go, hmm. <laughs> well, this uh, is this is why your song, your book, your exhibition are called "There Is Nowhere to Go, There Is Nothing to Do." I can't imagine anyone else coming up with that title. Yes, um, that <laughs> title is actually a um, yeah, part of the whole um, Ram Dass kind of be here now. Yeah, now who, he was like an American guru, wasn't he, at the 70s, is that right? Yeah, he was a New Yorker who sort of, that sort of phenomenon of people kind of being quite drawn to the East mm. um, and coming up with gurus, different gurus, so yeah, he was one of them. Um, so that whole period of the 70s of just, particularly in New Zealand, a, a, a massive embrace. So where does this fit into your life? When I was um, a child, we grew up in Tusrangi. I had a brother and sister. And in the 70s, all of a sudden I found myself being shipped in a um, my mum's green Citron to live on a commune. I was surprised. <laughs> This was a this was a family breakup, was it? Essentially? Yeah, yeah, a breakup. Um, my mother had met a Canadian with long ponytail and a waistcoat and a sort of t-shirt underneath, mm-hmm. and um, we moved in. We moved into his um, chicken shed, actually, um, so a the, renovated chicken shed. Now the commune sounds pretty interesting. It's Timatanga Community and School. Can you tell us a little bit about that commune? Yeah, sure. So when we arrived, he lived in this chicken shed in amongst these other chicken sheds. The the land that he'd bought with another couple was a four and a half acre battery farm. Right. Apparently they'd had some very rare um, chicken there, that some super chicken anyway. Um, they bought this and um, it was in amongst a big, huge dairy farm. Farmer McDonald was right right around us with all his Frisian cows. And anyway, mm. Jerry, my stepfather, had invited all these people to come and live with him, these couples with their children, and they'd fashioned together this um, sort of makeshift alternative education school based on the teachings of A.S. Neal, who was a English educator. Okay. Child-centred learning. 
Ah. Um, so this child-centred learning actually happened last century, um, sort of you know very early on last century. Early 20th century, you mean? Yeah. Like yes, 100 years early ago. 20th century. Okay. Yeah, an alternative school is what it was called. So it was kind of, it's a school and it's kind of like, well, legally everyone's kind of living on the school grounds. Is that kind of how it was, sort of thing? Yeah, so in terms of legality, it's an, it's an interesting point um, and something that I sort of tentatively talk about. The chicken sheds, the renovated chicken sheds, were deemed dormitories of the school. Right. And so the four and a half acres is zoned a special zone. And all around us now, after the unitary plan, the rural zoning has changed to light industrial. And I can tell you it has completely changed. So rather than cows, you've got little factories and industries surrounding this area. Because it's not, still still there, right? Yeah. Not <laughs> yet. Not yet. Not, not factories yet. yet. Um, I was thinking more panel beating and oh, yeah. you know I'm not even sure what it means but what actually is around us is different sort of four acre blocks a few houses on them one or two houses on them I think but just sort of bombed out there's a bombed out house at the end of the road and boy racers come down and do you know donuts at night it's sort of just gone a bit feral and a yeah. bit ugly to be honest <laughs> But the school's yeah. continued, so Timotangi community's still there, and the school, in a sense, has been a success, right? I mean, a lot of communes of that time didn't last. Yeah, in a strange way, it's it's been hard to celebrate. Actually, our birthday was on the 5th of November, and, and the last, almost the last positive member of the community um, put out an email just congratu- you know, wishing <laughs> us all happy birthday. Anyway. Wow. Elaine, she's been one of the people that have really driven keeping the school going. Um, mm. She's one of the early members, you know, the original adults. And um, that's what we called them, the adults. And we called ourselves the kids. We were like two different tribes that <laughs> occupied this, you know, piece of land. How many of you were there? Honestly, I, I want to say I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Let me see. Um, should I just look that up? No, no, you don't. I, mean, <laughs> I think there's about like six families. Right. Um, maybe a, a one or two or three at any given time, single people. Yeah. You know, and then just, I guess each family had a variety of kids, variety of numbers, two or three kids each. The school um, would have anywhere between 15 and 26 children children at it but in the beginning they were children from the community people that lived there and some people that came in from outside but it's pretty different now so you lived in a chicken shed and you just popped next door to school every day yeah and all all of the adults whether they were your parents or others were called the adults (laughs) and you were the kids so it sounds quite free yeah it was it was really fun to be honest um i remember back feeling like you know everything was twilight and i was always up in a tree or you know making a hut uh making a hut an old water tank or or you know pretending that i could drive in a bombed out old car or (laughs) something like that but um or you know later on we got right into you know reenacting greece and things like that my mum had a really old citron you know one of those Citron Traction Avant, I think that was the one with the big running bars, and we would, you know, pretend to be 
stars holding our hairbrushes and yeah it was it was pretty fun to be honest and this how somehow is tied up with the exhibition the book the beautiful book it's work that you've done over a long time and and it does feel like in a way your photograph sort of charges up objects and kind of creates landscapes for us to play in in the way that we might remember as kids has that childhood experience really charged up your photography for a while well, you never know, do you? I mean, I, I mean, as a photographer, you point your camera. I mean, some part of me is is just taking photos to see the way the world looks photographed, um, and then other parts, I guess, are you know reenacting things that have happened. I guess more like a filmmaker, telling stories. Um, I have actually dipped my toe into a bit of short filmmaking, right, with the same themes. Um, and found it, in all honesty, quite disappointing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the amount of effort to get something good was pretty, you know, pretty hard. So um, I'd scuttle back to photography. But, you know, it's, it's a super, um, not just the practice of image making, it's not, it's not just image making. I guess um, most people would agree that to take photographs, it's rather tied up with a social practice and, and sort of, you know, your networks and relationships that draws all that in. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you that because you, you work with your friends, don't you, as your, your talent, as it were, in your photographs. Exactly. So that yeah. how, how, do they have quite a big role in Yeah, in well, I mean, develops? I guess if you're being paid to take photographs, if you're a commercial photographer, you have a budget and you can pay for talent and choose the look you want and all that sort of thing. But if you're a photographer and, and sort of trying to, you know, make art or you do, you, you sort of draw from the people around you and, and the people around you are part of the story as well. So yeah. my the people I photograph are people, you know, kids from the commune or friends. When I was at art school, they were all, you know, people I went to art school with, like Florian. Florian Habich, yes. Yeah, he was one of them and... Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the work feels like it is a form of spiritualism or it's filled with spirit it kind of it's haunting it's strange it's surreal it's symbolic uh, and there you were in the 70s or at least your mother was dabbling with eastern philosophy and there you've got the Ram Das quote you know I, I'm kind of interested in what you believe in and do you have a kind of a spiritual practice do you think I absolutely don't mark and <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, we used to, as kids, we used to roll our eye, you know, roll our eyeballs at what the adults were up to, and feel quite superior to all their, you know, um, navel gazing and and some of the, some you know, honestly, some of the cringy things that they did, you know. So, but now I guess I mean I was I just totally rejected it and thought it was creepy, um, mm. not not in a creepy way, but in those days I guess you know in the eighties I went into town to school. And um, got involved, all the other kids at school were into punk music and, and reggae. Um, and so I kind of really hid uh, my hippie background. It was really embarrassing to me. So in a way, it's actually me making peace with it. Right. Yeah. Like your whole photography practice almost, in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got to find something... I mean, I felt like I had to find something to to pull me along through what ended up being my career because I was a I ended up being a um, commercial photographer at the beginning after art school. And you're a teacher as well, which is kind of ironic. And now, finally, a teacher. You went to this kind of free school, and now what? You, you work in 
the proper education system? I do, <laughs> yeah. Although I have to say that my amazing school does have the you know, learner focused principals. Which, which, school, that, is, which school is that? Albany Senior High School. Ah. Yeah. Actually, my principal, Claire Amos, is on RNZ all the time. Ah, wow, wonderful. Yeah, she's the go-to with education. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm very, I feel quite comfortable there. Mm. Uh, although the, the catchment is, um, they're all North Shore kids mostly, but we do have people coming from far and away to, to come to this quite, it's quite a unique school, so... So you yeah. came to the photography through commercial photography to a degree because yeah. there is this kind of you know sharply lit product photography aspect to your work which is quite distinctive in an art context, but mm. you're doing something quite different. So yeah, so listen, um, I guess just absolutely, you know, focused on making a dollar. Went through Elam, you know, I can remember you know wondering if I could have a coffee this week and you know selling my clothes on K Road. At different times, so I was quite keen. I, I went to Elam and, and did my arty kind of stuff, but I always had my eye on making my, you know, getting better at photography and being being able to take, you know, a so-called decent photograph and offering up my services to um, ad agencies, much to my mother's, you know, actually disgust um, <laughs> that I was doing that. Um, but, yeah, so... Oh, that's a, that's really interesting. In in those ph- photographs, there's not a lot of indigeneity, shall I say? I mean, it's like the kind of exotic species, all the weeds, and where even it's the white swan. There's this kind of like I don't know. It's it's all <sighs> this battle. It's not going a, on. very Aotearoa, New Zealand, is it? Well, no, it's not. But it's kind of very real in a way, in the way that we kind of hold on to these these symbols or these places or, or the places we play. Or like you might have, I guess you played as a kid these kind of in-between spaces which are full of invasive species. Yeah, I think that kind of is not part of my childhood, the invasive species series. Right. I don't feel it is, although, you know, some of the places are out at Tehinga Bethels, which was a, a place that I frequented, and really just roaming all around, you know, up here where we are, Tamaki, Makoto, Auckland, that is all part of what's, you know, gone in the ingredients. You know, I'm using the ingredients that I've got at my disposal which is what a photographer has to do they can't just paint up um, what they choose and so that becomes part of the semiotics of the picture you know things that other people may read into that I may even not have made purposeful Um, that jacket that location um, are not always you know so contrived is is it a scorched almonds I can see in one of your pictures yeah (laughs) I'm it's not going to eat those anymore. They're not good. <laughs> They're Cadbury's. So, you know, you, you just saw the scorched almonds. You thought they looked good to, to photograph, or did you see something in them already? Were they eggs? Or, I don't know. That's just me, um, you know, walking around with my camera. When I'm, mm. I, I feel like when I'm in a, in a good mood or in a good place in my life, I'm walking around with my camera. And then when I'm tired, which I am at the moment because I've just been helping you know, the level three students get their photography together. When I'm tired, right. I'm not walking around with my camera. So I suppose I'm playful. I feel playful mm. and inquisitive and curious when I'm not tired and I've got my camera. <laughs> well, it does kind of remind me of returning to that magic of childhood. I guess all, maybe a lot of creative practice is like that, where you can kind of give yourself the space to play and to imagine and charge up things around you. Yeah, I, I, I do hear that other artists 
use their childhood a lot. Mm. I have heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at an image called, I think it's called Day for Night House Hokitika here, which is on our webpage. Yeah. Um, and this day for night photography is something that you do, is that right? Could you explain what that is? Day for night photography is my um, my little skill that I developed, and I'm sure it's not unheard of, or I'm sure other people do it. But I've figured out I've I've got a bit of a um, an aversion to being up late at night, and so I figured out how I could take photographs that that kind of recontextualise things like big things like cars and and buildings. Um, so get rid of all the the stuff around them and make them really object-like and almost sort of without a, a, a scale. Right. Anyway, so I yes. I can make, um, you know, so this this picture was probably, I don't know, it could have been 4pm or something down in Hawkatika and I use, it's all in camera, it's not with Photoshop or anything. So, um, yeah, that's just a, a technique I used. And, and, and that's what they use in, in cinema as well, you know, the old um, cowboy movies ah. um, that look like, they do. They actually look like the daytime, but with a whole blue filter put over them. I don't know if you remember seeing those. I go, that's not. That's not nighttime. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hey, I'm speaking to Greta Anderson, photographer and musician. And you, you mentioned Blue. I think of the Blue Marbles, the first band I ever saw you in back in the, gosh, late '80s at the Glue Pop, probably. Yeah. Of a time. <laughs> And oh my God, Mark! I hope it wasn't the gig where I sang. <laughs> that was so bad. It's a lot. Was it with um, Don McGlashan with Muttonbirds? I don't remember. I yeah. don't remember. I don't, okay. I don't remember. But that, that's a bit of a segue to a series that you did. We've got a picture on our um, on our web page of uh, of uh, which is dedicated to Jane Walker. Uh, I think mm. maybe we maybe we'll play the song and come back to it. Uh, we're going to play "Squeeze" by Toy Love.
Right, that was Squeezed by Toy Love. I'm talking to Greta Anderson, uh, photographer and musician. Uh, now, Toy Love, um, you've got a, a photograph there from your Transcender series dedicated to Jane Walker. And it's a, what is it, is it a child's hand Apparently it's a, a matinee jacket. Um, a matinee Mary jacket. Louise, um, the curator at Two Rooms Gallery, yeah, let me know that, that she's very fashionable. Yeah, Mary this Louise is a, Brown. Mary yeah. Louise Brown. She's a... Um, Said it was a yeah a matinee jacket. It, it's just an op shop find. It's beautiful. It's rich red. It almost looks like Little Riding Hood. But now what happened was my friend Sonia Waters, who is one of my old heroes from when I was at school, at, you know, a teenager. We used to go and see her play in the Instigators and all the sort of halls around. Punk band, back, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm. actually, um, a little bit scar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, she um, lived out at Tuturangi about f- six years ago, I think, and she introduced me to Jane Walker. They were really old friends, and Jane Walker had just come back from London. She'd been living there for years and years, um, I think working as a web designer. Anyway, yeah, I met Jane and, you know, just Googled her or something, because I know Chris Knox and I know Toy Love and all that sort of thing, and I, I watched that... Um, amazing video squeeze and she is very cool and she's not the the lead singer no and i um i ended up um sonia had given me this beautiful little hand-knitted jersey that had belonged to jane walker jane walker was still alive she's passed now that's right um and i just loved it It was a bit scratchy though Anyway, so I, I photographed it and I just wanted to like honour her because I was like, wow, you look amazing and squeeze. You're so cool. I'm looking at you, not at Chris. Um, and um, I photographed it and I put it up on the internet and said Jane Walker's jersey, you know, and and as a piece of art. And um, apparently Sonia said Jane was upset and she wanted me to take it. You know, I can't remember. She was upset about it or something. And I took it down. I'd, I've never found out why she was upset. Whether whether she was like, "Why did you give away my jersey I gave to you?" You know, or whether she thought I was making fun of her. Or mm. I'm not sh- quite sure. But anyway, Jane passed, and it did become what um, the impetus for my the Transcenders series that was um, exhibited at Two Rooms, where I honoured. Lots, well, about a, a few different New Zealand musicians that I've kind of clocked, you know, going going and seeing live, and you know, um, I never saw Toy Love. Um, they were a bit before my time, along with um, amazing band. But I, ne- I never saw them either live. No. Yeah, there are other ones like Harriet Ellis is somebody who's qu- quite young and 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 in fly- working in different bands and Flying Nun. There was um, Sonia Waters. Hermione Johnson, who I'm playing with at the moment. Mm. Jane, um, uh, Jane Dodd from the Villains. Jane Dodd, Villains. Um, uh, Vanessa Rari, who's somebody yeah. from the punk years. Um, Kay Woodward yeah. from the Bats. Kay Woodward, an amazing inspiration. And am I missing? 
I'm not sure, but what's in common is often, and it's the same as you, you're a drummer, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're often... Actually, I'm not anymore. Oh, you're not? Yeah. I've dethroned. You've stepped forward (laughs) with with this song we've just heard I've become a vocalist and a really crappy guitarist. (laughs) There you go. But, you know, I'm not sure if it's all of them, but the thing that the ones I knew knew were in common was they weren't the lead singers. There was some bloke up the front taking all the limelight, and there they were at the back holding things together. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I went and saw Bob Marley, actually, when I was really young. I went with some of the um, adults from the commune. <laughs> and um, I remember just being transfixed by the the backing singers. I'm not trying to um, pull any anybody down here, but I'm just saying that's what I noticed. You know, I was like, wow, they're amazing. Yeah. Greta Anderson, thank you for joining us. When are we going to get to see Half Sister is the next question. Um, when somebody gives us a gig. Right. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. That was my co-host, Mark Amory, speaking with Greta Anderson about her photography and music. And uh, apologies, we had the wrong uh, gallery earlier, but her exhibition, There Is Nowhere To Go, There Is Nothing To Do, is showing at Te Uru Gallery in Te Tarangi until the 3rd of December, and the book is available from Rim Books.